0: Couple readings tonight. Let's look at the book of Ephesians, chapter five, please. Very well-known passage. I think I read this passage um, a little bit ago. A very happy time that we had here. Ephesians five. Let's pick up at verse 21. Hear the holy word of our holy God. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And this is um, quoting... Um, Genesis chapter 2 for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is great but I am speaking with reference to Christ and to the church nevertheless each individual among you is also to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband and then we're going to go from there to the passage I was alluding to Proverbs thirty one. I'm going to read the entire proverb from verse uh, one. It's two parts. It runs one through um, one through um, nine is the advice of the godly mother to her kingly son how to be an excellent king. And then 10 through 31 is, I think, the advice of the godly mother to her kingly son on, um, on finding an excellent wife. Verse 1, hear God's holy word. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him, What, O my son, what, O the son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings, Not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink strong wine, or for rulers to desire a strong drink. They will drink and forget what is decreed, and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing, wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his trouble no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously. Defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. An excellent wife, who can find her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax, works with her hands in delight. She's like merchants, ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it's still night, gives food to her household, portions to her maidens. She considers a field. She buys it from her herding, She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength, makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff. Her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them, supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom. Teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the way of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly. But you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the products of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are God. And we thank you, O oh God, that you have condescended to reveal yourself, not just to us in nature, showing us that you exist and that you are an all-powerful and all-good and a present God, but you reveal yourself to us, especially in Holy Scripture, that you are a merciful and a loving and a kind God, and a God who takes human beings into a covenantal relationship uh, with yourself. And you use the picture of a marriage, that we are married to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We are your bride, we are your body, you are a husband, and you are a head. Help us to understand um, your words on the business of marriage, and especially the excellency of an excellent um, wife. We pray these things in Christ's name, Amen. We're still in that little bit of a break on our Ezekiel series. This is going to be the last Sunday. I'm intending. I'm intending. I don't. I mean, it's. That's my intention. The Lord may change my my mind, but my intention is next Sunday evening to take a deep breath and tighten my belt and press on. We'll finish the book of Ezekiel. I've loved the book. It's lots of judgment, true enough, lots of mercy in there. Um, but um, we're going we're gonna to press on next week, Lord willing. So we've been looking at various Proverbs, various Psalms, and are a little bit of a respite. And I decided to look at Proverbs 31 for a number of reasons. One, the general subject, taking from 10 forward, the excellent wife is the specific subject, The larger, more general subject is the the business of marriage, a godly marriage, marriage in the Lord. And one of the reasons that I chose that passage is it's a personal, um, it's something which I personally am, um, am intrigued with from Scripture. Regularly, obviously, the gospel in Christ is the most intriguing subject of the bible for me but marriage is very intriguing to me i love to study it i love to teach on it as our brother um, taught this morning he said the the teacher proverbial learns more when he goes to teach that's true so i read a lot on on the business of marriage and husbands and wives from the scripture because it's interesting to me the other thing the other reason i thought this might be an interesting topical to look at is uh, given what i said this morning i i I don't want to be pessimistic when I said perhaps we're post-Christian nation, that's God for to to decide. I don't really know. I can't really quantify the number of true Christians, or I don't. I'm not equipped to um, to actually even judge the quality of faith. But my general inclination is there's lots of unbelief in our in our country. The culture is radically different, I think, than the culture of my youth, particularly given the business of marriage. The permanency of marriage, uh, the participants in marriage. Um, I've uh, Most of you all know that I was raised in, a, in New England, Massachusetts. I was raised in a, a Portuguese in an Irish Catholic town. Very working class. Maybe, yeah, it was a very working class town. I did not hear the word divorce until I was 11 years old. I, did, I didn't know what a divorced person was. And then and then, obviously we have what we have. In um, our, our, my, my children could not say the same thing. And then regarding the business of marriage, the participants of it, um, I'm 58, 10 years ago, um, 15 years ago, I never would think that what we're looking at, the general subject of marriage, it should be a man and a woman, which is really what's inferred here. I would never think that it was a debatable thing. Not certainly in society, but certainly, certainly not in the church. There, there, there side A, side B, I'm still confused about what that all that business is, it should, we're in strange times. And so the antidote for strange times in the subject of of marriage, relationship of a husband to a woman, sexuality within that, that, that context, the Bible does inform us. It's not a picture book, thankfully, but the Bible does inform us, inform us principally what pleases God and what displeases God. And so, obviously, this particular passage deals specifically with the wife, but it's built upon the larger... Idea of a marriage, which is why I looked at, we looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, um, 12 through the end. And we're going to see it here. Uh, Even our passage, we have the godly mother talking to her son about a godly wife. And it's, and and we'll, maybe I'll address this as we get into the business. So not only is this an interesting subject, not only do we live in strange times regarding the participants, I'm going to go one step further. Because we have here a wife who is uh, an adult human female. She's married to a husband who is an adult human male. Um, Men are males and males are men. And we have that here in the scripture. I know this may be... Pastor John, did they send you to seminary to learn this? They did, actually. But I knew this even as a kid. Um, My little two-and-a-half-year-old daughter's Son, he would he starts to call all girls mommy and all boys daddy because he gets that daddy's a boy and mommy's a girl <laughs> and he can judge the difference at two and a half years old. Our society is busy telling us that none of that's true, and it comes into the church. I know it comes into the church, and then ministers and Christians are forced to defend what marriage is, and actually even deeper than what marriage is. Who and what is a woman? I mean, there's a question. What's a woman? Who's to say what a woman is? Well, it's an adult human female. <laughs> What's a man? It's an adult human male. And this isn't, we're not knuckle-draggers. We're not anti-science. Um, we're, we're Bible Christians. And when you look at a wife, and when you look at a husband, it's the woman of. It's the female of. It's the male of. It's the female that belongs to that particular male. It's the words of Scripture. And so we're not denying the Bible. We're not picking on people that are engaged. We tell other people that are engaged in sin to please stop that and turn to Jesus Christ. But we can't allow, as Christian people, the broader culture to tell us what marriage is, and we can't tell us what dictates an excellent wife or an excellent husband. And I'm going to go one step further. We can't even let the broader church tell us (laughs) what marriage is and, and what, what the one-flesh union is and what makes an excellent wife and what makes an excellent husband. I would argue that the better part of the, the, the visible church is already apostate, but that's my own opinion. So we're going to look at these things. Um, the, the outline that I'm going to follow, we're looking at Proverbs 31. Consider, the first part is to consider some general truths in this passage in light of what we just said. Uh, a couple of things... Um, Obviously, we're Reformed Christians, conservative Christians. Some of the folks that have come through here, including myself, have um, been homeschool Christians. Sometimes Proverbs 31 on the excellent wife can really be a burden on many wives. They come here and think, well, I guess I'm toast. Because look at this woman. She is absolutely, she's super wife. She is wife on steroids. And I'm not this... So I must be down here. over, And this is how I always feel when I go to presbytery. I see all these ministers. They're super gifted. I'm like, well, I don't know. I squeak out a few words for Jesus. But this is how many wives, godly wives, come to Proverbs 31, which is meant to encourage the, the husband and the wife, and they leave being horribly de- dejected because they think they're less than. And I, there's some misconceptions there. That's the second part. And the other thing is I want to maybe walk through some of the particular qualities of this excellent woman, this excellent uh, wife. Um, remember, the, the book of Proverbs is, um, is what, what is one writer, I forget how he spells his name, A-R-N-O-T, commentary. And he says it's um, um, heavenly rules for earthly living, or sorry, heavenly living for earth, or something like that. Heavenly rules for godly living. So when you come to the book of Proverbs... It's generally on how to live it in such a way as that brings pleasure and honor to God. And related to that is how not to do those things which displease God. And we're going to have the example of a godly mom telling her son, son, when you look out for a wife, this is how to find a good one, and this is what a good one looks like. And she's helping her son live a godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-pleasing life. So it's very, very practical. I've said tons of times... Christianity has theory, it has propositions, propositional truth, that's what the Bible is, but it's not a theoretical religion. It's very, very practical. And so I argued from this morning, if the Bible's not changing you, it's not doing you any good. So the Bible is meant to bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ, to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, and make us live for Jesus. And this is a kind of a, how do I live for Jesus in my marriage? And if I'm the son, if I'm the boy looking for the girl, what kind of woman am I looking for? So the words of King Lemuel, the oracle uh, that his mother uh, taught him, um, as I, I said, some people think this is just, uh, Lemuel is another name for King Solomon, so um, I, don't, I can't be dogmatic. Uh, but, the, but the notion is that first section is she's teaching her, I guess, adult son or close to adult son Um, Perhaps even she's teaching him as the existing king on some things which make for an excellent king. Notice that she says, this is the godly mum. The the Proverbs, we've seen this before. You have the godly father teaching the the son how to be godly. The godly dad teaching the the son or the daughter how to be godly. The same goes true for the mum. So she's in there in another number of places. Not so much um, the same quantity as the godly dad teaching the son and daughter how to be godly. But you do have the mother. We mentioned it a couple of sermons ago. It is a massive blessing. If you were if you were raised in an ungodly home where a mother and a father did not know Jesus, they didn't take you to church, they didn't t- teach you the Bible, they didn't pray over you, and then you just kind of made your way in the world, and then God, the Holy Spirit, uh, brought you to the Lord Jesus Christ as he brought you to the Jesus Christ. And then you meet folks that were, had a godly dad, a godly mom, and they had all of those things. There have been many times where I thought, wow, as much as I love my folks... To have this kind of instruction, there's Jesus, like the the godly mom and the godly grandmother of Timothy, telling Timothy in the Bible, "There's Christ. Believe on Christ for the salvation of your soul." Teaching him the lessons of Scripture, even from a young one. Um, the first, the first religious instruct, the first instructors that every kid has is father and mother, and principally, the principal teacher of tiny tiny children is what person? Mama, mama. When you look at the eyes of my daughter's little kids, you can see it in the picture, and they look adoringly like they're just on drugs with adoration. You'll see them. You can, they're looking at my, my, my daughter. <laughs> it's Mama. They're looking at Mama all around. Where's Mama? Um, we have a godly mother who's teaching her adult son on some of the qualities of being a godly leader. And so you may say, well, he's the superior in the relationship, she's the inferior, he's the king and she's the subject. I understand that. But in the context of her giving her son instruction and the mother giving the instruction, she always the, 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 the subordinate. I was my mother's subordinate right up to the time I said goodbye. And I was always going to be my mother's subordinate in inferior in that son-mother relationship. And so she tells him one of the qualities is and this is this is important. So this applies to all adult moms teaching their adult sons on what makes a godly leader. And one of the things she says to the godly to the son to be godly, Christ-honoring is don't chase women. Don't give look at that. Do not give your strength to women. Notice the plural. Notice the plural. Don't give your strength to women. Why? Because you're going to go find a woman, your woman. So it's not, I'm in love with women, uh, generic women that I'm going to go chase. Tomcats could do that. You could have the morality of, of a hound dog. And I, I don't mean to be impious, but that stuff creeps into the church. I'm a ladies' man. All of these women I'm chasing. No, the godly mother says, you're not chasing women. You're looking for a woman, one woman, the godly woman. And she's going to be yours, and you're going to be hers there's a saying it's not, it's not peculiar to me um, if one woman is not woman enough for the husband a thousand women won't do if woman, one, one woman will not satisfy the husband for his wife a thousand women will not satisfy you, you, there are young men if they're honest they would say look at Solomon he had 700 wives and 300 concubines or vice versa that's three a day for a whole year Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Man, I would be in I would be in hog heaven. No, you would not. It would not content you. And so the godly mum says to the son, don't give your strength to women. You're not gonna be a good leader. And I know this is not particular to any any brand of politician. A lot of politicians are powerful men and they're given to this. And they are some women chasing fools. Democrat, read JFK, read LBJ, any of them. And, and the godly mom says, don't be like that. Don't, don't ex- give your energies away to women, plural. You go looking for a godly woman, and then you give yourself to her. That's sound advice. And I'm going to say something else that we see here. For us that are adult moms and adult dads, if you think instructing your adult kid is easy, oh, boy, howdy, it is not easy. When our little ones are little ones, we could tell them, Jesus loves you, this I know, now say that after me. And don't don't play in traffic, and don't, don't do this. And they quasi listen to us. And it's quasi easy to teach them religiously. When you get here, these are some dicey conversations. I've had them. These are dicey conversations. When your kid is getting up to like where he's quasi man or quasi woman, and now you're in the I was married at that age. <laughs> my father had kids at that age, because we, as folks, sometimes my little baby's forty-seven. I don't—he's not ready to hear this. <laughs> this mother takes it on herself to tell her adult son, "This is what you go looking for when you find to, to look for a, a, a godly wife." And beloved, as dicey as some of these things may be, and if you've ever had a parent try to teach you, look at. Your body's not your own; it belongs to Jesus. You can't live any old way with your body. Our culture says an excellent when our culture says an excellent wife, and here means uh, like um, some of the the language is strong, heroic. But when our, our our culture says, "Man, you got a great wife," ultimately, what really what are they getting at? She's a looker. She's a looker. She's got a beautiful figure and a beautiful face, man, you scored. But she may be a wood chipper back at the house. She may have the personality of a meat grinder, but our society says the only thing that matters is the good looks. And if we as parents don't say to the boy and the girl, you look at the last quality that was said here. She loves the Lord. She fears the Lord. We're not just Christians on Sunday. If we're Christians just on Sunday, I mean, it's... (laughs) oh, we need to repent. We're Christians every day, all day, (laughs) all the time. And so it's not like we're putting our Christianity on and off. We go to church, corporate worship, because we're Christians. We have the marriage we have because we're Christians to glorify Jesus. And so when we're teaching our children on any subject, it's all attached to religion. It's all meant to glorify Jesus. Why do I need to learn and read to write? So you can write, read the Bible. <laughs> so you can get a job and support your family and love Jesus. All of those things. You see what I mean? And so here, this woman takes it upon herself to give this religious instruction on marriage. And, and the reason I'm stressing that is, if we do not do it, if we as mums and dads get a little sque- squeamish, and because when our kids get to be adult age, they scare us. And they frighten us. I don't want to tell you what I'm, I'm... mad at you. I mean, kids go through their little angry phase. I mean kids when I mean like 18 to 20-something. They go through their little angry phase and then they get mad with us and we don't want them to be mad with, with us so they don't, we don't tell them what they don't want to hear. We really need to take a deep breath and tell them what they don't want to hear. Son, daughter, son, go looking for something more than a beautiful face and a beautiful figure. Find a woman that loves Jesus. That's question number one. And when the boy says to the mom, Mom, you don't know what you're talking about, Mom, say, be quiet, I'm your mother. (laughs) So, and we have here with King Lemuel, and he shows his own religious excellence. Look at what he does. He takes her advice to heart. He remembers the religious instruction of his mother. It's not being a mama's boy. Listening to a godly mother is not being a mama's boy. I mean, there's a difference between you're not. Some guys do need to clip the apron string, but that's another. That's another story. This is a godly son that takes the advice of his mother. Don't don't um, give you all of your energies to women, and then it says an excellent wife. So how to be an excellent leader and how to have an excellent wife. And I just mentioned that um, in the opening that the wife in Hebrew is woman. We don't often speak like that. She's my woman. Like, it just sounds religious. It sounds ridiculous to me. Like, when I hear myself say that, like, what am I, a caveman? Mona's my woman. Well, yeah, she's my woman. I mean, mean, we generally don't speak like that. But that's really the language. When she, what the wife is, what the mom is teaching her son is the notion of monogamy. and It's actually lifelong monogamy. He says she's going to treat you good all the days of her what, her life because she's yours for what for life. So this is the mom teaching the son on the godly wife. Says to the boy, "Go find a, a woman." Again, I really don't mean to be indelicate. Um, I my heart, Christians, professing Christians, we can do some really sinful things. And for us mums and dads, we can go through some hard plowing where, with our adult children. And there are godly, Christ loving folks that have had their sons and daughters come to them and say, I'm a boy and I'm not going to marry a girl. I'm a boy and I'm going to marry a boy. I'm a girl and I'm not marrying a boy. I'm a girl and I'm marrying a girl. And I want you to be at the wedding. I want you to bless it. I want your blessing. The Bible tells us, even implicitly, the wife is a woman, the husband is a man, man go find your woman, woman go find your man. And so in culture, even well-meaning so-called Christians say you can mix up those things, the mom and the dad have to say to the son or the daughter, I love you like nobody's business, kid, you don't know how much I love you. And you're going to think I'm going to hate you and you're going to hate me and never talk to me again. I cannot give my blessing to what God doesn't bless. He abominates. And please, oh please, oh please, repent and be forgiven in Christ and be reformed in Christ. And it's not mean, it's loving. And But don't think, beloved. Don't ever think as a believer, well, that could never happen to my family. Oh, beloved, just talk to a few people in the church. It happens all the time. Um, so, the excellent mother is telling him how to find an excellent wife and why do you find why do you think in particular the mom is a good instructor the dad is likewise a good instructor but why is the mom a good instructor of how to find a good woman what's the basic reason it's basic she's a woman <laughs> she's telling the the son how to find a good woman and she's a woman she tells him how to find a good woman that would be a, a good wife and a good mother. She's a wife. She's a mother. My wife tells me all the time that I don't understand women, which of course is true. I don't understand women. I insert certain things, principally from the Bible, theoretically and in, in practical life, but the, the mother can tell the son this is what a, a woman wants, a companion, she wants a friend, she wants this, she wants that, from the woman's perspective. The husband may know by inference and indirectly by learning from his wife about a woman, but the woman can tell the son directly the experience of the woman. I th- I, it, and this is what we find. And ultimately, the teacher of this passage is God, the Holy Spirit, which inspires uh, the woman. I mentioned the excellent wife. A, it can be defined as um, strong wife, fine wife, virtuous uh, uh, wife, or a, a valorous wife. This is like the heroine. I believe, I can't be dogmatic here. I believe this is the answer to some of the objections. When you look at this woman, she does look like, boy, howdy, look at her. She can, man, she, is there anything she cannot do? She could probably fix the clutch on my truck. Like, like she could do anything. And then, and I could see how the the, the the regular old wife would be thinking, "Why? Well, I, I don't own a business. I can't, I, my grandmother can knit, but I can't knit. This woman can do it all. I tend to think this is the model. This is the heroine. This is the heroine wife—not heroine, but the hero wife—and it's the goal. This is the the excellent husband, and we should be the excellent wife. And there's a study going on the excellent husband. This is what we're striving for. She's striving to love the Lord even more. She's striving to be diligent. Uh, there's a there's a fellow that um, his name's Zig Ziglar. He's not a I, he was a Christian. I'm sure he's in glory now. And he has lots of motivational books. And one of his, uh, my dad was a devotee of him. And one of his uh, things was, you've got to have goals. And he said it with a country accent, which was, I, I don't want to imitate it, because I'm not mocking him. He was a rock star. You've got to have goals. You have to have something to shoot for. And so this is the woman shooting for the, I, I want to be the best godly wife that I can be. I want to be the best godly mom that I can be. And likewise for us husbands, we should have a goal to be shooting at. I want to be the best friend, companion, that my wife could possibly have. That's the goal. I'm shooting at it. And, and marriage is given not only for, I would argue this, um, it's not good for man to be, be alone. I think the principal benefit of, of marriage in general, and godly marriage in particular, is friendship. The greatest benefit that the wife provides for the husband is friendship. Yes, in God's providence, if she's fertile and the man's fertile, you can provide seed to multiply and to fill up the church. Yes, that's true. But I don't think that's primary. I think that's a product of the friendship. The greatest benefit... Here, son, go look for that godly woman. And she has all of these wonderful virtues. And at the end, she's a godly woman. And I'm going to attach that to Ephesians 5. She knows and loves Jesus. And the two shall become one, what? Flesh. That's not conjugal relationships. There's some kind of spiritual intimacy, some spiritual amalgamation. Um, she's the one. She's a co-laborer. Uh, J.C. Ryle has a book, uh, Thoughts on to Young Men, and he says this in this book. Be careful who you hang around with. Be careful who your friends are, because most ordinarily, you're going to pick a spouse from where, where your, your friends are. So if you're if men, young men, are hanging around a lot of unbelieving young women, it is almost guaranteed they're getting an unbelieving wife. And so we want to make sure that we're hanging around Christian young people because we most ordinarily take from there. But he goes on to say that the choice of a spouse will either help us or hurt us in our work with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the greatest attribute of this particular woman here is that she fears and knows and loves the Lord that she's a believer. And there's so many young guys, and the dad should say this to the mom, and the mom should say this to the, the, to the boy, to the boy. The dad should say it to the boy, and the, the mama should say to the boy. You think marrying a girl with a pretty figure and a pretty face, and I'm for pretty figures and pretty faces. I'm for that. I mean, I've got a wife with a pretty figure and a pretty face. That's the first thing that you see when you're in college. Boy, howdy, look at that. Wonderful. But the greatest is this. Because there are many Christian spouses that picked, not for the excellent reasons, not for morally excellent reasons, but for fairly carnal reasons. And how fast, and and they chose a person that didn't love the Lord. They had a pretty body, but they didn't love the Lord. How fast after they said, I do, did that Shazam go away? Like that. Like that. And when you have a baby and you want to raise that little baby, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, like King Samuel, uh, Lemuel is being raised by his, his mom, and you're married to an unbeliever. Guess what's not going to happen? Being raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And then you would say to yourself, Oh, why didn't I pick a godly woman? Why didn't I put, pick a godly man? Because I'd be, be raising my kids in Christ right now. So it's the greatest thing. And so the mom's advice to the boy is find a woman that fears and knows and loves the Lord. And all of these other attributes, we see, we, we see their activities, and this is sometimes where women beat themselves up. What you're seeing is activities, but behind the activities are her qualities. So what I would argue, rather than looking at the, 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 the activities of the godly woman, rather focus on the qualities of the godly woman. She's a diligent woman. She's faithful to her husband. She, she does him good all the days of her life. Uh, she is trustworthy, he, he He's not afraid to leave her at home. He's not afraid to go to work in the morning. He's not driving around the block a couple times to make sure everything's okay at the house, if you know what I mean. He trusts his wife. And so there have been occasions, even with my own wife, I say, "Well, what? careful when you're running group. Don't run with that. I, she runs with w- all women. But there have been guys that say, I want to join the all women's running group. Watch that guy. <laughs> I don't want that guy running with the all women's running group. It's not that I don't trust her. I don't trust him. <laughs> the the mom says, find a woman that you can trust. Find a woman that's trustworthy. That she's she's faithful to Jesus. She's faithful to her word. You can see it in her life. And she's and, and it, find a woman who's diligent. She's not lazy. She's not a sluggard. I watched an interview of a poor woman. Oh, in Pennsylvania, of course. The the Senate race up there is just—it's a nightmare. And they interviewed this poor woman. She had four kids, and she said, "Well, I want the government to give me a job that I, it's very flexible, and it's like a career, and I can have plenty of money and still raise my kids at home." I'm like, "This job does not, it does not exist. You're not diligent. You're not faithful. You're living as the sluggard." Give, 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 and then you're going to be, you're going to be hungry in the time of, uh, of harvest, and so the excellent wife is often seen in contrast in the scripture, and I, I'm not say there's no no women are represented in, in this room, um, uh, by the bad wife, <laughs> J.C. Rao. I think, a good marriage, having a good marriage and having appreciating your wife in a good marriage next to your gift in Jesus salvation is the greatest gift I think loving a husband loving his Christian wife in Christ and finding his friendship and delight in her next to salvation in Jesus is the greatest gift in the whole world that's what I think and so marriage can be a godly marriage can be wonderful but I also know this is true A bad marriage can be like hell on earth. It can be like hell on earth. Being alone is not the worst thing in the world. Being single is not the worst thing in the world as a Christian. Being married to a person that you shouldn't be married to is way worse than being single as a Christian. And sometimes people jump the gun when they're single too long. They think, I got to go, I got to go, I got to beat the bushes and choose what I choose. You could choose poorly. And listen to what the Bible says. Um, I, this is excellent. Wife, um, where where is it? Maybe I'm losing my notes. Maybe I am losing my notes. Um, ah, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness to his bones. And there are other places where the bad wife is like dripping. She's like dripping water. And that the husband wants to sleep up on uh, the roof. Again, the scripture will present for us contrast. What should I not be looking for? What should I be looking for? And I, I, I want to close with this. I know I've just been presenting the general theme of of um, marriage in general, and then looking for a godly wife for us Christian mums and dads as we raise God gives us children as a gift to, to give them back to Jesus Christ. Um, we should pray. For any future spouses, um, for for any children that the Lord may give us, to pray that our children would love the Lord Jesus Christ, and that to pray in God's providence that He would send them uh, a godly spouse, that they would love the Lord Jesus Christ, and then, if God gives us the desires of our hearts, that when they marry, you see, we don't stop praying for marriage after people actually say "I do." That's when the real prayers really begin. Um, then we pray that God would keep them married and that God would forgive the sins that they commit against one another, which we all commit against one another, and that their marriage would be increasingly shaped into the image of Christ the Savior and Church the Saved, living in a intimate, loving relationship. Um, those thoughts from the book of Proverbs. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.